Hey guys, thank you so much for checking out this video. You know, this is the first sermon in our sermon series through the book of Jonah, man. And we're going to look at what do we do when God asks us to do something that we don't want to do? What are the consequences and what are the blessings when we obey the word of God? Uh, before you check out the video, go ahead and hit the like button, subscribe, share this video, help us to get the good news of Jesus Christ out. I pray this message will be a blessing for you and your family. God bless you. Guys, there's only one reason why I played that video. Now, how many of you are familiar with VeggieTales? Raise your hand. My children grew up on VeggieTales. So this morning, I go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah in case you haven't picked up on our theme so far. But as I preach on Jonah, I, if I bust out singing this song, I want you to know why. I can no longer, because of my children watching VeggieTales so much as a kid, I cannot even say Jonah without going, was a prophet, ooh, ooh, right? So this morning, if I start singing that song, I want us all to have a reference point, amen? And then also, it gets stuck in my head, so my prayer is, it gets stuck in your head for a change, and it gets out of mine, amen? But if you're looking for the book of Jonah, it's between Obadiah and Micah. If you need to look in the table of contents, do it. It's not cheating, it's okay. Look in the table of contents, your neighbor won't tell on you. But how many of you basically know the story of Jonah? Raise your hand. Right? Basically. Now, the story, it's the story of a guy who doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. And we're looking at a story that a lot of people consider like a Sunday school story. A story we tell the kids. Right? We paint the nursery and we put a big old well up there and, and the story of Jonah and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but the truth is, Jonah, this man on the run, this reluctant prophet of God has a lot to teach all of us. It doesn't matter how many times you might have read the story. It has a lot to teach us about listening to the Spirit of God in our life. So turn to your Bible, Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number 1. Jonah 1, verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. It's saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And then in verse uh, 3, look at verse 3, uh, we see uh, Jonah's unfortunate response. He says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This is a man on the run. Now we're going to look at a couple of things for context. Look at this next slide. Now Jonah was a prophet of God. You've got to understand that from the very beginning, right? In this particular story, you're going to find out, though, that this prophet did not obey God. Look at this next slide. A little bit more context. I just find it interesting that his name, Jonah, means dove. And Amittai, his uh, father, his name means truth, which is pretty awesome for a prophet, right? To be the son of truth. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty fortunate name. Now, Nineveh, look at this next slide. Nineveh was the city that he was commanded to go and prophetize, to, to preach to. And they were the absolute Israel's worst enemy. And we'll talk about more about that in just a moment. So now you know the players. Let's look again at verse number one. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Now, the good news this morning is that the word of the Lord came. The word of God will come to you this morning. 
It'll come to me. God is a God who loves to speak. Matter of fact, when God created everything that ever was and ever will be, he spoke it into existence. Even in the Gospel of John, look at it in your notes there. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the what, church? Word. And the what? Word was with God, and the word was God. Our God is a speaking God. God is not silent, and he's certainly not dead. God, uh, he's spoken with different ways throughout the years. He's spoken with an audible voice. He's spoken through his prophets. He's spoken through the Holy Spirit, and God speaks to us today even through his word. God will speak to you through his word, and that's good news. But the challenging thing for many people, now take some notes this morning. Write this down. Number one, here's the challenge. God will sometimes ask you to take notes in a sermon, even when you, I'm sorry, God will sometimes ask you to do something that you don't want to do. God will sometimes ask you to do something that you don't want to do. And the reason we don't want to do it is why? Because we think we know better. Have you met a teenager? I can introduce you to one. I'm just kidding. Sometimes, well, listen, sometimes when somebody in authority with a little bit more knowledge than you tells you something, well, you just think you know better. You're just convinced that you know what's really up. It reminds me one time, me and my family, we were out west. We went through Yellowstone. And I told you, some of you have heard this before, but we had stopped. And we was in Alicia's Jeep, and we had stopped, and she's fixing some sandwiches. And so me and the kids went down in this ravine. We're kind of playing around and stuff. Well, okay. And so we're down there playing around and stuff, and Alicia's making those sandwiches because we're cheap. Amen? And so she's making those sandwiches, and um, a park ranger pulls up. And I see him. Now, he didn't, before he said anything, I'm thinking, man, we ain't heard nothing. They're making sandwiches, playing in the ravine. You know what I'm saying? Like, leave us alone, you know, because I could tell we were in trouble just by the way he walked. And he gets over to us, and I look up there, and there's Amber Baby and the Marcus Baby, and Mama Baby's up there fixing that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that man says, hey, if you want to see a mama bear, just stay right where you're at. I said, I do not. And we, it's funny, it was so easy to get down that ravine. It was much harder getting back up with them little feet. Anyway, and so what happened was, you know, they tracked those bears. And on up the road, we had seen uh, uh, mama bear and some cubs and stuff. Evidently, they were coming in our direction. And so when I first met somebody with more knowledge, I didn't want to do what he had to say. But I quickly realized he knew more than I did. And so I needed to listen. But a lot of times we feel like we know what's best, even when God gives us a word, tells us what to do. That's the context of Jonah. Matter of fact, see, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, look at it. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, you might think, well, Jonah is a prophet. Ooh, ooh, all right. So you might think, I tried to stop. You might think that Jonah is a prophet. So what's the big deal? Jonah's a prophet. God said, go do the prophet business. Go preach. And so why doesn't Jonah want to do it? Well, you have to understand the history of Nineveh and the Syrian empire in general to really understand why Jonah hated these people so much. The Syrian empire, they were so vicious in conquering other uh, cities, other countries, other lands, that sometimes if word got out, the Syrian army's coming for your village, the entire village would commit suicide because that would be better than being left in the hands of the Syrians. And that's what the Ninevites were. They were Syrians. 
Matter of fact, sometimes when they would come against the city, what they would do is they were so vicious uh, that they would kill all sorts of people. But many of the surviving women, the ones they let survive, they would rape. The little girls, they would rape them too. And they would torture some of the kids. They would take some of the men that were the warriors that they allowed to live. Then they would carry them out in front of the city. They would skin them alive. And then they would take them and bury them up to their neck in the sand. I imagine that felt really good, exfoliating. And so they buried them up to the neck in the sand. And then they take their tongue and pull it and they stake it to the ground in front of them and they leave them there all day, all night. And they make them listen to Miley Cyrus music and they just go crazy. And it was just, now I was kidding about the last part that would be tortured, but everything else, everything else was absolutely true. Does that make sense? And so these are, and so if you're Jonah, these people have killed probably, you know, family members, a friend, somebody that you know, their atrocities are well known. These are evil people. They would even, after they killed everybody, after they skinned you alive, buried you uh, in the sand with your head sticking out, pulled your tongue out, staked it to the ground in front of you, made you listen to Miley Cyrus on repeat. After they did all of that to you, once you died, they would just take your head off right there. And they'd take all the skulls from everybody in the city and they'd make a skull pyramid outside of the city. That was kind of their calling card. It's kind of like the Syrians have been here, right? And they just let everybody know this is what we do. This is who we are. You do not want to mess with us. Now, so it kind of makes more sense why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh and why he hated these people so much. Again, he could have been, it could have been his friends, a family member, anything. And so he didn't want to obey God. And maybe you can relate to that. There's times in your life when you don't want to obey God. It's easy to look at Jonah and be like, Jonah, go prophetize. I can't say prophetize. I'm making up new words today, right? Go and preach to Nineveh. Just do it. But in our own life, when God's word comes to us, many times we don't want to obey it. God tells you, you've been hurt somebody, right? You've been hurt by somebody. Somebody's hurt you. They've done something to you. And you know God has told you that you need to forgive those people, but you don't want to do it. You just decided, no, I don't want to do it. You think that you know better than God. Or, or, or even, I don't know, even in the area of general, if, if you know the biblical principle of the tithe, you know what God's word says about storehouse giving and how we're to give 10% of everything that God, because we recognize everything comes from God, so we give it back to God what is his, and you know that, but for some reason, you know what the word of God says, but you just don't want to do it because you think that you know better. It just doesn't make any sense to you. Or maybe you're a guy, maybe you're dating a girl, and she smells really good. Or maybe you're dating a guy, and he's super cute. Right? Next thing you know, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. And the word of God's going to come to you. And it's going to say, listen, you're doing marriage things in a dating relationship you don't need to be doing. Right? And then a lot of people are just going to say, well, I know what I need to do. And, and you know what God says, but you decide that you're going to do your own program anyway. I don't care what God says. What you need to understand is this. Look at this next slide. There's a little bit of Jonah, ooh, ooh, in all of us. I'm sorry, I won't do that again. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. All of us can relate. Maybe the word of the Lord, the Lord has come to you and you thought, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do, but you know what? I'm not going to do it right now. I know that God wants me to forgive. I'm not going to do it right now. I know God wants me to, I know, I know God wants me to serve. I'm not going to do it right. I know God wants me to stop this or to do that, but I'm not going to do it right now. Now, you know that delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is this. Some of you are teaching your children delayed obedience, which is nothing but disobedience. How do I know? Because you count. You counters, that's what the Kellys call you, you counters, and we ju- we're judgy about it, right? You count for your kids, right? You say, hey, stop it, stop it, stop it, put it down, put it down, put it down, put it down. One, 
two, you do not want, no sir, you do not want me to say three. Okay, one, you start over. Two, I'm, he's just crazy, right? He's just a while, he don't mean, right? You're teaching your children delayed obedience, which is nothing but disobedience. The Kellys, I've told you this, but we were so crazy, man, we did fake counting. My kids would be acting up. We'd be sitting there at the doctor's office. Little Marcus sitting there doing something. And I'd be like, hey, man, you need to stop. And then he'll kind of keep going. And I'll say one. Pow! And then what I say? We don't count. <laughs> Swat his little bottom. Why is that important? It's important to obey. Why is it important? Why is it important that you're not teaching your children delayed obedience? Why is that important? Hey, Johnny, get out of the road. Johnny, get out of the road. One, two, splat. It's important to teach your children that delayed obedience is disobedience because there's consequences, aren't there? There's consequences. But Jonah said, you know what? No, he wasn't delaying obedience. He just like, no, I'm not going to go. God will sometimes ask you to do something you don't want to do. Number two, write this down. And you can always make the wrong choice. You can always make the wrong choice. There's always a boat going in the opposite direction. You can always find a boat. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You can relate. Watch it in Jonah. Look at verse 3. God says, I want you to preach to the Ninevites. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Are you getting the point? He was going to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why did he sell for Tarshish? Because he's running from God. Tarshish basically as far away as he could get, right? 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. Uh, one commentator said that to go to Tarshish was going to take him about a year. About a year. That's serious, serious running. But some of you can relate. Matter of fact, this morning you may be sitting next to somebody who thinks that, you know what? You're on track. You're right, you're right where you're supposed to be. But in your heart, you know that you're running. You know that you're running. And you're a long way from God. You've been on the run. And you think you can get away with it. Right? To quote the, the prophet Johnny Cash, you can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. One of these days, God will cut you down. Amen? You can run. You can take the wrong track, but you will not get to where you need to be. You cannot run forever because it'll catch up to you. Maybe you're not on the run as much as drifting. You're drifting, drifting, right? And you haven't even realized how far you drift, right? Some of you, you may be able to relate because months ago or years ago, uh, sometime in your life, you're so much closer to God than you are right now. I mean, you prayed to God. You're in God's word. You're in God's house. You were, you love the people of God, the things of God. God was moving. He was active and, and just incredible in your life. But then something happened and you began to drift, drift, drift. Maybe you just skipped church one Sunday for no good reason. Maybe that's how it started. And then and then all of a sudden you realize you like having that free time on Sunday, so you just skipped you another one. And next thing you know, you're not in God's word anymore. You don't pray like you used to. You're no longer praying. And then now it seems like God's not that active in your life anymore. You don't really sense his presence, his movements, his providence in your life. And then one day you're like, how did I get so far from God? 
I mean, it's like if you take your kids to the, uh, to the ocean or something like that, go to the beach, and you get up there and you're playing around, and even there, you, what do you do? You drift. You look up and you're like, oh, our stuff's over there. We need to get back on track. When we disobey the commands of God, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, man, we are drifting away from God. We are separating ourselves from him. See, God will sometimes ask us to do things that we don't want to do. And we can always make the wrong choice and go in the wrong direction. But number three, write this down. God may decide to get your attention. God may decide to get your attention. Maybe this message this morning is God attempting to get your attention before it's too late. God may send a storm in your life. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. God sent a storm, man, is tossing this uh, boat around like it was a toy. And they start saying, well, it's pretty wild. They start saying, you know, they know whose fault is this? This is crazy. It's not, the weather's not supposed to be like this this time of wine. Whose fault is this? And they do this little lottery. They draw sticks. They figure it out it's Jonah's fault. And they're like, what did you do? Look at verse 8 in your Bible. They said, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And now it's kind of amazing. They're this far on the journey. Nobody knew who Jonah was. Um, It was amazing that when the storm showed up, Jonah started talking about God again. Evidently, he hadn't talked about God at all on this trip. They didn't even know who he was. It's amazing that when the storms show up, all of a sudden we need God again, right? In our lives, maybe we do need God. And if you ask me, one of the greatest problems in the American church today, I'd say that we have a generation of people who call themselves followers of Christ, but they're not. They're followers of culture. And their lives do not resemble a Christian life at all. At all. No distinction whatsoever between them and the world. Their life, the the life they live does not reflect Christ in any shape, form, or fashion. Cultural Christianity, it's just Christianity in name only. It's consumeristic Christianity. As long, well, as long as God's doing something, as long as everything's going good, you know, I go to church every once in a while, and I might pray at Thanksgiving if it's a really good meal, right? I might, maybe I'll pray then, or, or, or if somebody gets sick, I'll throw a prayer up to the big guy upstairs, or, you know, whatever it is. But there's nothing in your daily life that resembles the teachings of Jesus in Scripture. You're not a Christ follower. You're a culture follower. You're following the ways of the world, and you're trying to sprinkle some Jesus in with it, and that's just not how it works. People are like, yeah, I worship God. Look at this next line. Just because you're in church this morning doesn't mean you've worshiped God. It doesn't. Just because you're in church, that's not what it means. Listen, you're, you're not, it's a lifestyle. It's how you live. It's who you are. I mean, don't tell me you came in here this morning and worshiped. Then when you leave here, you're going to scream at your wife, scream at your kids, scream at your husband. You worship God. Yeah, I worship God. And then I go and play golf. And then I use God's name in vain because I couldn't get the little ball in the little hole. You worship God. Now, forgive me if this sounds a little harsh, because, but I've believe that God's going to hold me responsible for everything that I stand up here and say. I'm going to answer to God one way or another for how we lead this church. There are times when I look around at some of our lives and I'm not sure that what's going on in our lives are pleasing to God. This halfway, lukewarm, cultural Christianity thing. Yeah, we know God, but somehow you think you know better than what God has called you to be. You need to repent. That's my message for you this morning. You need to repent. 
before God sends a storm in your life. One of the reasons you need to repent is because what this story teaches me, sometimes innocent people, innocent people get hurt, right? So you're the one that needs to repent, but your family may be the casualties. Does that make sense? That's what happens with Jonah. He, look at verse 12. He finally owns it. He says, and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. I'd be like, dude, you jump, right? Why are you putting that on me? I got to be the chunker. You put it, just jump. Pick me up and throw me in the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now the sailors, they have mercy on them. They're like, dude, we're not going to throw you in the sea, okay? All right, we're pagans, but we're not those kinds of pagans. So they throw some cargo out, which, which is their, how they make a living, by the way. So they're throwing their possessions overboard, their cargo and all of that. They even try to row, 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 row the boat. And they even try to row. Nothing's working. They finally go, dude, sorry, God forgive us. You gots to go. And they finally throw Jonah overboard, and then the sea goes calm. And something unbelievably bad happens in the life of Jonah. If you know the story, he gets swallowed by a really big fish. Big, nasty. He was in the fish for three days. This really happened. I'm going to be honest. It grosses me out. Amen? Could you imagine? It freaks me out a little bit. Pretty scary. Pretty gross. But what does this teach me? Number three, write this down. It teaches me that what Jonah hated was what Jonah needed. What Jonah hated is exactly what Jonah needed. Jonah's worst nightmare became a blessing from God. Look at verse 17. Go all the way down to verse 17. It said, now the Lord had prepared a great fish. By the way, this tells the Lord had prepared a great fish. It's, Jonah didn't surprise God by living in rebellion. The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What Jonah, what anybody would have seen as the worst possible scenario is what happened to him was actually God providing. Now, some of you right now, you might be facing your worst scenario. Maybe it's your own personal nightmare. Maybe, I don't know what it could be. Maybe it's financial and God is trying to get your attention. He's like, do I have your attention yet? Maybe it's in the area of some relationship has gone bad. Maybe God is saying, do I have your attention yet? What I'm not telling you this morning, listen to me, is that everything bad that has happened or is going to happen in your life is because God caused it. Because I don't believe that's true. But I do believe that God sometimes may cause, may allow what you would consider something really bad so that he can fully get your attention. And honestly, when we had hated the big old fish, man, three days. Listen, while you're, you, what the thing that you would dread the most, that thing happening to you would be horrible. But it might, uh, might be the mercy of God because he knows what's next is even worse. He knows what's coming next. And sometimes God uses these storms in our life, these big, big fish in our life to get our attention. The word of the Lord will come to you and you're going to have a choice. I can obey or disobey. You can go in the right direction or the wrong direction. God may send a storm to grab your attention. He may allow you to face your worst nightmare and it may be the mercy of God on your life. But when he does, understand this church. Look at this next slide. It's all because he loves you. It's all because he loves you. Now we're going to be continuing these series not next Sunday, but after that. But sometimes God's going to have a word for your life. You're going to know that God is calling you to do, to not do. And when God calls you, he gives you a choice. It's a blessing. You can choose to obey or you can choose to disobey. And when we choose to disobey, 
Sometimes God is going to have to send a storm our way to get our attention. And we may think it's the worst thing that ever happened to us, but it could be the mercy of God. And the reason why God has a calling on your life and the reason why he gives you a choice and the reason why he'll send that storm and the reason why that worst thing may be the best thing is because he loves you. Just like if some of those of you who have had children and kids and, and sometimes you've had to correct them and discipline them or sometimes you've had to bring a little <laughs> one smack. You've had to bring some suffering into their life for their own good. Maybe that's what God wants to do in your life. But can I suggest a different course than the one that Jonah took? Sometimes God is going to call you to do something. And you have a choice to obey or disobey. May I recommend that you obey God's calling on your life and, and, and understand those blessings. And you don't have to face the storm. Not that storms won't come. You won't have to face the discipline. And your worst nightmare doesn't have to be actually mercy from God. You can do, you can be who God is calling you to be. I can't be that for you, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your, nobody can do it for you, but you can be who God has called you to be. And he's calling you because he loves you. He's got something for you to do. You get a choice. You can run on for a long time. But sooner or later, sooner or later, God is going to do business with you because he loves you. You can obey God or disobey. This morning, I want to encourage you, obey the word of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, I just ask that your spirit, your Holy Spirit would draw us back to where we are supposed to be. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed, every, no, no looking around. Be respectful of your neighbor for just a moment. This morning, for all of you that you know that you're saved, you know that you're forgiven, you know that you've been redeemed, you recognize the fact that you're on the run, man. Tell the truth. You are on the run. Aren't you tired of running? Aren't you tired of pretending? Aren't you tired of living a lie? Some of you recognize that you're on the run. Others of you, you've been drifting, 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 drifting. It's time to come back, man. It's time to come home. It's time to repent. And so maybe for all of our believers, all of you that know that you're saved this morning, maybe your prayer this morning is simply, God... Here it is. God, renew the joy of my salvation. Is that your prayer this morning? Raise your hand. God, renew the joy of my salvation. The joy of knowing you. The joy of serving you. The joy of obeying you. Uh, the joy of walking in your spirit. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for your mercy and thank you for your forgiveness. And God, on behalf of all of us, Lord, forgive us when we don't take you seriously. God, forgive us when we treat you and your will like a joke. God, forgive us when we treat your word like a joke. God, forgive us for those times when we hear your word, but we don't act on it, or we try to delay, or we try to negotiate, we try to do our own thing. But God, this morning, we're praying, we're asking that you would give us the joy of our salvation that we would know that we can rest in who you are and who you've called us to be. God, that we can have that peace and that joy. And we as your children, Lord, we're asking you to give it to us because we know that you love us. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. The truth is this morning, some of you here don't know Jesus, man. You don't know Jesus? Look up for just a second. See, when we live apart from God, one of the things that we do is exactly what we talked about. We begin to believe that we have the answers. 
especially men, like you, you believe that you're good enough, you're strong enough, that you can carry it on. Look at this verse. Look at this next verse right here. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What are we talking about? See, we often think that we can be good on our own. We can do good on our own, that we've got the answers. We've got the solution. And the word of God is clear. We don't have the answers. We're not the solution. We're not that good. The word of God tells us that everybody, everyone is sin. I mean, you're a sinner. And somehow we get by this lie that maybe I'm a little bit less of a sinner than you. So that makes me okay. You know, like God, I'm going to get to heaven someday and God's going to look at Marcus and go, you know what? You were this much better than Tony. Come to heaven. Tony's not the standard. Scott's not the standard. You're not the standard. Jesus, perfection is the standard. And we can never live up to that on our own. We can't do it on our own. We're not perfect. Think about how many promises you've made to yourself. And you've broken them. I mean, about every July, I mean, January the 4th. We make promises to ourselves and we don't even keep them. We're sinners and our sin separates us from God. The good news is this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what you need this morning. You need rest. You need Christ. You need to stop working for it, faking for it, doing it on your own, thinking that you can somehow stay on track by your willpower, your strength. You don't have what it takes. God loves you so much that he sent his son, born of a virgin, perfect, sinless son of God. Never, Dude, where you messed up and where I messed up, he never did. Where I've sinned, he never sinned. Where I've lusted, he never lusted. Where I've lied, he never lied. And he went to Calvary, went to that cross, an innocent man. But he went there perfect, sinless. That made his sacrifice enough for me. See, I could die. I could go to a cross and die. There's nothing spectacular about that. But if I go to a cross and die, I can't even save myself, much less you or the sins of the whole world. But Jesus could. Then on the third day, proving the acceptance of his sacrifice, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And he's at the right hand of the Father right now, praying, interceding for us. So the question this morning is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to be like Jonah? You've heard the word of God. You hear the calling of God on your life. There's always a boat going in the wrong direction. My question for you this morning is, will you go the right direction? Will you go to Christ, to the cross, so that you be forgiven, redeemed of your sin forever? That's why God has you here this morning. One more time, to give you a choice. Choose Jesus. Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. For just a moment. You know you're here for this moment, this time. God has got you here for a purpose. He's got you here for a reason. And all of you right now, you know, man, you know, you know that God is calling. And you want to say yes to Jesus. Listen, I want to let you know, I will not drag you forward. I will not single you out. We will not embarrass you in any way. I promise, man, we don't do that here. But I just want the privilege of praying with you. So if you're here right now, you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you just slip your hand up for just a second? God bless you. I see you. Who else? Who else? 
Listen, right there in your seat, why don't you pray this prayer right there in your seat? Man, it's not these words. It's not a password or anything like that. Just humble yourself before God enough to admit. Say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Tell him you've sinned, man. You've lied to yourself. You've broken promises to yourself. You know that you're not perfect. God, I've sinned. Lord, I turn from my sin. I repent. I turn from my sin, and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him. Say, Lord, I'm putting my faith, not in my good works, not in my goodness, but your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Jesus, all of me, I surrender to all of you. Save me, Jesus. Look up for just a second. I want to encourage you, based on the word of God, The word of God is clear. It says anyone, it's probably our favorite verse here at Grace. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you call on them? Did you call on them? I want to encourage you. Maybe you prayed that prayer this morning. Maybe you've done it at one of our other services or at another time. What God calls you to do is what those did this morning. The first step of walking in obedience when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is to follow through in biblical believers' baptism. That's where we publicly show we're not ashamed of Jesus and what he's done for us. But also, we're t- it's a testimony. Well, the baptism, what's it a picture of? It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. And when we come and do that, we're giving testimony. We're uniting publicly with his sacrifice and his resurrection for our sins. Do you need to do that? You can come this morning during the invitation, and we'll pray with you, schedule that time for you, rejoice with you. Maybe you recognize this morning Uh, that uh, your baptism and salvation are out of whack. It happens all the time where maybe you walked an aisle at some point in your life and you got baptized, but you know that you didn't really get saved until later. Friends, you've never been baptized. We get saved. The New Testament model is clear. We get saved, then we get baptized. It's a step of obedience. It's a step of faith. You can come this morning. We'll schedule that time for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that Grace Baptist Church is your church home. This is your church family. You can do what so many others have done. You can come this morning. You can put on the jersey, be a part of the team, and unite uh, publicly with this church. And you can grow in grace right here. You can serve at Grace. You can say yes to God's calling on your life right here at Grace Baptist Church. But I want to encourage you this morning during this invitation, as we take a few moments, I want to encourage you to do business with God. I mean, honestly, how many invitations do we get in a lifetime? I know it feels like, I know it feels like <laughs> so many invitations, so long, right? It feels like a million of them. Not really. Not really. Right? For some of us this morning, this could be our last invitation. I'm not trying to scare you, right? This could be our last invitation, last time we're all together in this room. I just want to encourage you. This, this, we don't do long invitations. But just in these few moments of this invitation, that you would ask God to speak to you and that you'd be willing to obey what he says. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time. Lord, we surrender this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand? You come. I have decided to...